Introducing Spectacle, the ultimate eyewear experience. We offer a carefully curated collection of logo-free frames, so the focus is on you. We're located at 505 Tremont Street in Boston's historic South End neighborhood. Keep in mind that we only look expensive. Hope to see you soon, and enjoy the day. Baby Loves Tacos proudly supports the Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico podcast. Since 2016, we've been serving soulful whole Mexican style food out of a tiny storefront, 4508 Liberty Avenue in the Bloomfield section of Pittsburgh. Um, we believe in supporting the arts, community-based initiatives, and podcasts like Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico because uh, they add a richness and vibrancy to our lives, uh, help to connect people, build community, and uh, demonstrate that following your, your dreams and your passions and holding on to relationships and spreading the love and support that we hear so much about on the podcast uh, is, is really the only way to combat um, ever-changing world where big businesses and corporations are uh, squeezing out the small guy. So if you haven't already subscribed, if you don't support via Patreon um, or any of the other platforms, I would strongly encourage you to do so. It's a real privilege to listen to Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico, and it's a privilege to, to hear the stories about um, you know, Steve's experiences with many bands, uh, promoting, managing, and the really awesome stories from his guests. Something I look forward to every week, sometimes twice a week. And, um, you know, my life would be very different if I didn't have Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico to look forward to. All right, take care. I want to tell you about Joe's albums in their two locations. The original shop at 317 Main Street in downtown Worcester, Massachusetts, and their second location at 5 Market Street in the college hipster town of Northampton on Western Massachusetts. These are two amazing stores to go buy vinyl, both new and used, and a lot of other cool stuff too. It's hard to walk in either locale without walking out empty-handed due to their amazing collection of records and other cool goodies like t-shirts, mugs, posters, etc. And if you can't find what you're looking for in the retail shops, check out joesalbums.com. They got everything there, man. Everything. Well, maybe not everything, but almost everything. Joe's albums. We love them and you will too. Check out Joe's stores and tell them Twisted Rico sent you.
Now we're rocking. Welcome to Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo. You just heard Between the Lines from the great but short-lived Boston band Bullet La Volta, which happened to be one of my favorite bands in the late 80s, early 90s. And Bullet La Volta's great drummer, Todd Phillips, who also played the Juliana Hatfield 3 and did some time with the Lemonheads, Moving Targets, Other Star People, and Model Actress, a band which did not contain any models or actresses, although I'm not sure if any of those guys actually did any modeling. <laughs> no, but seriously, Todd is a great drummer. And even though we didn't know each other very well, although we did come to some sort of conclusion that we met briefly at the Metal Blade Records offices back around 1990, uh, we still ended up having a fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed uh, talking to Todd. We kind of get to the bottom of why La Volta ended, but I got the impression that Todd really didn't want to see the band end when it did. In fact, I know that I didn't want to see them end when they did. Five years, basically, is how long they were around for. Two fantastic albums, The Gift and Swan Dive. There was also a release of other early material that Matador Records put out and a handful of EPs. Um, Not enough for me. And, and, you know, I meant what I said earlier in the interview. Between the Lines is one of my all-time favorite songs. I would also put the song The Gift, a title track from that album, on my longer list as well. And I really, really did dig that band, man. And they they put out some really great... I mean, I remember seeing the first... I saw them three times, and the first time I saw them was actually before Todd was in the band. It was at the Paradise Theater in Boston during the BCN Rock and Roll Rumble. And I was like, wow. And then I saw him twice in LA and with Todd. And uh, what a fantastic band. You know what? Todd and I had a really lengthy conversation, so I'm just going to get right to it. So here I am talking with Todd Phillips. Great. Okay. Hey, Todd. How you doing, Steve? Before we just started recording, you were telling me you've been in L.A. for 25 years. Yeah, I moved here in um, Halloween of 1998. So coming up on 25. Okay, I was there from 84 to about 96. But I was in New York a little bit during that time. In fact, we could talk about this later, but I just remembered it. I saw Bullet La Volta at the Whiskey. It was with a three-band tour. I can't remember who the other two bands. That would be with... um, One was a New York band that sounded like a Southern rock band. It was Well, we were with Prong, I think, and Corrosion of Conformity, COC. Oh, oh yeah, that show I saw too, but I think I saw another one where you guys... You you played the whiskey more than once with the band, right? Yeah, we played in LA a lot. I mean... In 1989, we swung through here, and I think we did like five separate shows in a week. Like it was, we played with Suicidal one night. We played with the Pandoras one night. Um, I think the Fluid, Mud Honey, maybe Raging Slab or someone like Raging that. Raging Slab. That's yeah. the band that's New York that sounds yeah. like a southern. Yeah, I was at that show too. Because we were but, both on RCA. At that yeah. Right. Time. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right, because you joined around 1980. Well, we'll get into that. I wanted to ask you some stuff about your background first, because I don't really, we don't know each other very well. Even though I've seen you play, we I don't think we've ever formally met. I don't think so. Where did you grow up? I grew up just north of Boston in Linfield, 
which Linfield. is uh, yeah, yeah. It's the Wickfield. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess there's some kind of um shopping destination there now that didn't exist when I was a kid. Like I always hear about these people going to Linfield for some like outlet mall or something. I don't know what it is, but um <laughs> I, I, know, I know a lot of hockey players used to live there. I used to hear that a lot of hockey Bruins players lived in Linfield. Totally. Um Ken Hodge lived right near me from the 70s Bruins yeah. and then um on my way to school I would pass by Mike Milbury's house every night, <laughs> every day. Um yeah, a lot of Bruins. <laughs> so um, what was it like growing up there it was odd um I, I wasn't crazy about it it was like you know 70s suburb kind of i think a lot of organized crime there was a lot of like new reach <laughs> houses there you know like very sopranos um yeah. and you know i was just like a frustrated yeah, you know, I got into punk rock like around eighth grade, and the you know the kids in Linfield definitely were not into that <laughs> there. So um, I felt a little bit like an outcast, and um, yeah, it was it was I, I didn't love it. Like when I look back on on Linfield, I was not crazy about it. And then I went to uh, boarding school in New Hampshire for high school, and that was great. Like that changed my life. Like everybody there was like into great music and like super artistic, and it was just a, a completely different. What school was that? It was Brewster Academy, which is uh, in Wolfboro, New Hampshire. Yeah. yeah. Good one, right? Real good yeah. school. Yeah, it was great. Now, now, at that point, were you already, like, thinking about music? I mean, like, I was going to ask you, like, when did you start listening? What's the earliest music you can remember listening to? I got into classic rock really young. I had an older sister, and um, my parents were actually into, you know, they were into folk music. Um, but I would say around age 10, you know, I became obsessed with Led Zeppelin. I heard the ocean and, uh, it was a huge gateway for me. <laughs> it kind of changed my life. Like the second I heard the ocean by Led Zeppelin, I, I kind of thought in my head, like, this is exactly what I want to do. I just want to play music like this. Um, were you already playing the drums? At I that was point? playing drums and like in school band, you know, like concert band and jazz band and, uh, marching band. Um, in eighth grade, I joined the the high school marching band, and that was huge for me. Um, that really got my chops going. And then, so I was a classic rock kid. You know, I loved the Kinks and the Who and the Doors and the Beatles and the Stones and all the stuff you're supposed to like and Skinnerd. And mm -hmm. um, my dad took me to see the Kinks when I was in like sixth grade, and that was a real game changer for me. Um, and then. It was like one summer I got um, Ziggy Stardust and London Calling and that thing started to change. Like, yeah, it was the summer of London Calling. And then I do you remember Night Flight on USA Network? Night Flight. Yes, I do. Yes. Yeah. One night I was staying up late. I, I was probably 12 years old or 13 years old. And um, I saw a Clash video for Radio Clash. And they showed excerpts from The Decline, which had just come out. And so I mm -hmm. saw clips of Black Flag and X. And uh, it was like game over. Like, <laughs> I sold all my classic rock records. Just totally submerged myself into punk rock and hardcore at that point. And, so uh, were, you, were you paying attention to the drummers as far back as when you heard Bonham the first time? Because you said totally. Zeppelin. Yeah. So was he was he one of your big early influences? Huge influence. I loved Keith Moon, uh, Mitch Mitchell. Um, yeah, 
those three were sort of my big my big influences at the beginning. That's interesting how you got classic and then you went into the punk. Um, which drums do you think more kind of influenced your style? Was it the classic rock guys or was it when you started listening to the, the later stuff? I'd say it was a hybrid of Bonham and like Bill Stevenson from Black Flag and oh, Descendants. Yeah. His, if you listen to the shit, you know, I did with LaVolta, like it's very Bill Stevenson, like super snare, super fast, you know, uh, a lot of rudiments on the snare drum. And um, I loved him. I thought he was amazing. Uh, I was... If we want to jump ahead in the story, um, so I, I, got, I was really into hardcore, you know, everything you're supposed to be into, MDC, you know, fucking Circle Jerks, Black Flag, Seven Seconds, all of that. And as I, as I got older, I wanted something a little more, and I went into Rocket Records and um, Al Quint. Dog is... Yeah, well, that's I, a, you know, Al's right a good there. friend of mine. Al's, a great Al's guy. awesome, and I was yeah. just like, Al, I'm looking for something with like a little more brains, you know, um, <laughs> not so campy. And he he laid the Moving Targets record on me, uh, Bernie Lord. And those guys, I mean, the rhythm section of the Targets, Pat Leonard and Pat Brady, the drummer. Um, I mean, they could have been in Mahavishnu or something. I mean, they were such good players. Yeah. Um, so I got that Targets record and I couldn't believe how proficient they were and how great the songwriting was. Like I felt like Kenny's songs were um as good as any Husker Du song I had heard at that point. You know, just the songwriting was so still so making sweet. great records. Oh too. my god, I know. So I went to a Dag Nasty show. I guess it was the spring of 87. Um, I was a junior in high school and went to an all ages Dag Nasty show at TT the Bears and uh, Kenny was there and I had heard, I'd either heard or read in either Triple X or Suburban Voice that Pat Brady had quit the targets. Um, and so I just walked up straight up to Ken Chambers and I was like 17 years old, junior in high school. And I just said, I heard your drummer quit. I don't know if you're still going to continue, but I know that record backwards and forwards and I'd love to to play with you. And he gave me an, an audition and um, I joined the targets that summer in between my junior and senior year of high school. <laughs> That's incredible. Cause I was just talking to Curtis about a week and a half ago and I mentioned, I was going to have you on mm-hmm. and he said, Oh, well, you got to talk about moving targets with him. Yeah. And then I was thinking, I didn't know he. I didn't know that you ever played in in moving targets. I didn't see it listed. In, you didn't play on any records. I didn't play on any records, so I don't list it in my bio. But um, it was basically just like a six month period. Um, because like I said, I was still in high school, so I had to go back up to New Hampshire and go to school, finish wow. up my senior year of high school. But um, both Pat Brady and Pat Leonard had quit, and um, Kenny was playing in um, Dreadful in the Din with Jeff Wagon yeah, from the yeah, Volcano yeah, yeah. Sons. Yeah, so Kenny he, was on my show, by the way. You're not the first ex-Bullet LaVolta guy, okay. sorry. But- <laughs> I love Kenny. We, we talk often. So he got Jeff Wagon from Volcano Sons to play bass, and I was a big Sons fan. So when I went to that first, I guess it was an audition. Um, I'm just like this young kid. I'd never, you know, met. I thought these guys were like rock stars to me. You know, I thought they were famous. You know, when you're, you know, I, when you're I love, yeah, and I love, I love that you met at a Dag Nasty show because yeah. I, I used to run Giant Records, so I put out the Field Day record oh, yeah. and All Ages show EP, and I think it was around that time because '87 was Peter Cortner was singing by then, right? It was Peter, and I think 
that Doug. lineup was Doug and maybe London May on drums. Yeah, London he did from- that one tour with them. Yeah. 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 Wow, that's cool. Yeah, so I go down. Um, Kenny tells me to meet them uh, uh Looney Tunes on Boylston Street. There's yeah, a yeah. sub-basement underneath, like two floors beneath the surface. And um, I go down there and like all these people who I think are rock stars rehearsed down there. Like Del Fuegos were down there. Scruffy the Cat, Volcano Sons, the Zulus, and uh, we set up in this room. I think we were waiting for Jeff Wagon to get there, and I'm sitting on a uh, like a van bench, you know, like a bench seat that used to be in a van, yeah. and I'm sitting on it, and I it, I realize all of a sudden that I'm sitting in the exact position that the guys in Mission of Burma are sitting in the uh, in the inside of Versus. It was the <laughs> old Burma rehearsal space. And I'm, wow. I know. And I'm sitting on that bench. And like Mission of Burma, they were the most important band to me ever, you yeah. know, still to this day. Um, so I sort of realized where I'm, where I'm sitting. And I kind of jump up. And I was like, oh, my God, what the fuck? I can't believe this is happening. Like, I felt like I was just meeting my destiny or something. It was very surreal. Um, so I played... And um, Kenny took me on and we did like six shows over the course of three or four months. Um, Really great shows. We played at Green Street State. My first show was at Green Street Station. I don't know how they got me in because I was underage. (laughs) And um, Bullet La Volta and the Pixies opened that show. Oh, that's a famous show right there. (laughs) I've heard people have talked about that one. Yeah. And um you know, I think we played, we did like Billy, an outdoor. Billy Ruane, right? Put it together, Yeah, right? totally. Yeah. yeah. And um, it was before Pixies had put out Come On Pilgrim. So they were just like this weird, you know, I didn't know what to make of them <laughs> at the time. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, long story short, I played with the Targets for that summer. Went back to high school, finished high school. I got into Emerson College and... Um, I didn't apply to any other schools because at that point I felt like I had my foot in the door in the Boston music scene, you know, which was all I ever wanted. So I went to Emerson the next year and Kenny had, um, had joined Bullet La Volta at that point because Corey Brennan left to go do his dissertation in Greece. And um, Chris Guttmacher told the band that, after he recorded the gift, he wanted to leave the band because he he didn't like touring. He didn't like sh- you know sharing floor space and people strangers' houses. He just it wasn't his his jam. So, um, really early on in um, the school year of 1988, they kind of said like, "Look, Chris is going to be leaving right before the gift comes out. So, do you want to audition?" And I auditioned for La Volta, and it was actually kind of rigorous. Like they um. They tried out a lot of people. Like I would say 20, 25 drummers um sur- wow. cycle cycled through there. And then um do you remember Ezra Demon Qualities? Do you remember that band? Yes, I do. They they did this Sunday, every Sunday they did sort of like a residency at the rat called Ed's Basement on Sunday nights. And um I just went to one of them and Tom Johnson was down there. He was Lavolta's manager yeah. at the time. Oh, yeah. and he, Tommy. And he just said, uh, congratulations. And I was like, on what? And he was like, oh, you're in the band. And I was like, you're the first person to tell me. Like, I hadn't heard yet. So um, 
Yeah. Well, you're, you're really easy to interview, man. You're like asking me all the questions before I even have to ask them. <laughs> I love it. So you didn't play on the gift at all, right? No, it's it's funny because I was in the band bef way before the gift came out. Right. So like I, I did the whole so. touring cycle. I did the, the record release party, but, but no, Chris wanted to finish that out before he left. And um, it's almost like I was in the band even as they were finishing the recording of it. They, they knew that I was going to be the, the replacement. Did they put um, your name on the record? I don't think so. No, I don't, think so. I don't know why I thought you might have played on some of those songs on that record. I love that record, by the way. That's, oh, it's that's a great. great record. Well, well, my favorite song we'll talk about in a minute is Between the Lines, and you played on that, and that's on Swan Dive, you know. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. um, okay, so at the at that at this point, you're in the band. Tommy's your manager. Did they have the RCA deal at that point? No, I can totally get into that. We had no intention or at that point you have to realize this is years before nevermind came out right the only bands in our sphere that had been signed at that point was like sonic youth had their geffen deal um god i don't even know who else it was you know barely anybody had major label deals it wasn't even on our radar it was nothing we ever thought about and we played the record release party for the gift and we sold out the channel. I mean, it was wow, it was huge. Um, do you remember oh, who was on that bill with you? I like, asking I do. Oh, I do. Ask. Yeah. You're ready for this. <laughs> yeah. It was um, <laughs> from opening to headlining. It was um, Galaxy 500 first, Ooh. Buffalo Tom, Lemonheads, and then Blue LaVolta. Wow. Yeah. That was a great a show. show. Excellent show. Um, so we did that, and then we went to Europe with the Lemonheads, LaVolta, and, you know, they were all, we were all really good friends with those guys. Yeah. They, you know, a bunch of them all went to Harvard together, and, you know, it was like, it was like this family. Um, we went to Europe, and it was, it, it exceeded our wildest dreams. Like, it just, the crowds were ravenous. Um, Mudhoney had been over there. A couple of the sub-pop bands had gone over, and just, like, indie american guitar rock was taking over the the european circuit it was it was in every show was sold out and just packed and just so much fun they treated us well um we got back i guess in july it was like an eight-week tour and the lemonheads blew up over there too like they were even thinking of breaking up after that tour but they they did so well um just on that tour, they decided to stick it out and continue you know, and continue yeah. on. So we got back and um, RCA and Atlantic were interested in us just because they had heard what was going on over there. They'd heard the gift. The reviews for the gift were all extremely positive. And um, we went and played a gig at CB's in July of 89 that was sold out. And um, right after that, we got offers from both labels and the guy who ended up signing us was this guy Bob Fiden at RCA. Yeah, yeah. he was a legend. Um, he had sort of we went with him because he was sort of instrumental in getting Patti Smith signed to Arista, and he knew really good music. He's punk rock at heart, and um, Bob Buziak, who was the president of RCA at that time. Um, he was like a Detroit guy. So he was into the Stooges and the MC5 and that was totally so in our way. So we he trusted totally him. Yeah, yeah, he got, he got us. Got we, we trusted him. 
we ended up signing some huge crazy you know seven record <laughs> deal or something with them um and do you they... remember do you remember who at atlantic was uh pursuing you at the time some guy named graham graham uh, graham hmm. can't remember his last name did you, did you know donna hood don hood yeah she was yeah a big... Yeah, we we've talked about. I remember there was like these only a few of these bullet Levolta jackets, and I had one of them. Yeah, she had one. She had one, and yeah. one other person had one. My and a, a girlfriend has now. So <laughs> <laughs> the guy she was dating was this guy Graham at Atlantic. I, I can't remember his last name, but uh, you know he worked directly under Amit, and like he was. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember Wilson or something. I think I know the like guy that. you're talking about. I was yeah. just curious because I think uh, the Lemonheads ended up signing over there at that time. Exactly. I think they signed with him. Um, so we did that. And what happened was the gift was only like 60 days old at that point. And so RCA bought the rights from Curtis, repackaged it, and then re-released it. And we went on, oh my God, that fall of 89 was just... We we were on tour nonstop, and, and we you're like with, only like not even twenty years old at that point. Nineteen right? years old, I was wow. nineteen. Yeah. Um, so we go on the road that September, and it was like we would do a week with Mud Honey, and then a week with the Fluid, and then we hooked up with Butthole Surfers in the Northwest, and we were coming back across to um, do some shows with Afghan Wigs in the Midwest. And while we were driving, we were invited on Soundgarden's Louder Than Love tour. Yeah. So we got right, you know, we were like in Boston, we had like a day or two off and then we hooked up with Soundgarden and we were with them for six weeks, um, all through the U S they were great. Um, they were totally, <laughs> they were, they were such a pro operation like, compared to us. I, we had never seen anything like it. You know, they already had a tour bus and they had a crew and that whole, you know, we, we had not been exposed to anything like that ever. Um, and they treated us really well um still friendly with all those guys today um yeah and then give me danger give me uh, danger we needed something in between the records uh um, yeah did you work at metal blade yeah i did i worked okay. on that record and it's funny because i ended up at a&m and i worked on Soundgarden, but it was after louder than love it was like the their later records okay and um so i got to see them a lot of times so i know exactly what you were you talking such, about such nice guys um wait did you work for relativity was that Enigma? no i did work for i've worked for a lot <laughs> I worked at Enigma, but I was at Metal Blade when that we did this deal with RCA, and it was you guys and Circus of Power, and yep. it was a few other bands. That's and we also worked on Soundgarden's first record. That's how I ended up getting to know Brian Huttenhauer at AM. What would happen is these major labels would come to us and my mm -hmm. marketing department and say, We need you guys to deal with mom and pop retail, college radio, and get the buzz going totally and that's yep. how you that's how you guys were on my radar but i had seen the band i don't know, know if you were in the band when they were in the rumble but i was a judge the night that they played the paradise theater that's the first time i saw mm -hmm. the volta because i lived in la at that time you know I went, okay. I went to la in 80 83 so i was already out there but i used to come to boston a lot because i signed the outlets neighborhoods straw mm -hmm. dogs you know i had a lot of boston connections you know yeah and yeah. uh 
but I thought that was beforehand. That was but, before I joined. Yeah. Yeah. But Gimme Danger and the, then the Hungry Rabbit single. I remember when those came out and then and that then Swan Dive happened. Who who produced Swan Dive? Dave Jordan. Yeah. Big yeah. producer you guys end up getting. What was that like? It, okay. Um, we were excited to work with him because he engineered Remain in Light. And that was one of our favorite records of all time. So that was what RCA was stoked because he had just done Jane's Addiction and everybody yeah. was going crazy over Jane's Addiction, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, so he'd done Jane's and he did um, the first Alice in Chains. He did the first two Alice in Chains, but at that point he'd only done the first Alice in Chains. And so it just seemed like the right fit. You know, he knew like what was happening with oh, yeah. and all that shit. And um, next thing we know, we uh, flew out to L.A. and did that. Um and then it was like textbook major label scenario. Bob Fiden had to leave the business because he was not well. Um, he had some health issues. And so our A&R guy left. Uh, Bob Buziak got fired <laughs> while we're making the record. They bring in Joe Galante from RCA Nashville, who still runs RCA Nashville, right? Um, and he didn't understand us at all. Like, he didn't get it. He didn't re He didn't see the tea leaves of what was about to happen because here's what happened swan dive came out in september of 91 right the four weeks surrounding our release date metallica's black record comes out blood sugar sex magic sound gardens bad motor finger yeah <laughs> pearl jams 10 nirvana's never mind the <laughs> pixies trump lamond so it's like every other label knew exactly what was happening and RCA decided to just like basically not do shit with Swan Dive and they put all of their resources into the new Lita Ford record that came out that month. Um, People always ask me what 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 bands do you think like to me it's a travesty. I don't understand what happened with Bullet Levolta. I well I do, you know, what you're yeah. what you're saying but still it made no sense. I mean, this is a band that everyone knew was great. Well, I mean, like I mentioned before, Between the Lines, I think, is one of the best straightforward hard rock tunes with melody in the middle of it. Great chorus. Great. You know, it's just you. a great song, man. You know, and then Thanks. Jordan was so hot because he ended. He did social. D, he did a lot mm -hmm. of people. He was a great producer. So you had the table was set. And it's, so it's, for me, I don't this, think we. I don't think we had the mass appeal of those other bands I was just listing, talking about, but we definitely had more appeal than like, you know, Babes in Toyland, you know, that, that stuff's hard to listen to, you know, and they did well. Um, you guys rock though. It didn't matter <laughs> that you didn't have a, you know, that yucky guy wasn't Chris Cornell, you know, right, you guys right. still rocked harder than like so many bands. And that's Our why it's hard to understand. Our strength happened. was our live show. I mean, we were, really good live like i felt like we could take on any band you know even the bad brands at their peak you know i'd be like bring it on you know we will destroy you like we were just and so capturing that on record was difficult um like i said the label wasn't behind us we did that tour we felt really like rock compared to prong and coc like that didn't really fit um and then we asked sub pop had always put out our shit in europe um, so we asked RCA, we were just like, look, can we just have Sub Pop do the European release? Because <laughs> you guys obviously aren't into this, into it. And they did. And, uh, 
we went over and we had a great tour over there for, for Swan Dive. It, you know, it worked perfectly because they knew exactly what to do over there. And so that was that, that was good. And that's how we ended it. We um Yeah, how why? How how and why did it end? Uh, um it was really because we had options. Um Billy Corgan was a really huge admirer of ours and Pumpkins in the early days had opened up a few shows for La Volta and they were exploding. And basically we got back from the European tour in July of 92 and they were starting a huge tour in that fall. And they asked us to open and when we got that invitation. Um, Yucky just sort of called a band meeting and said, like, you guys, like he had a one-year-old son, the band wasn't paying the bills and he thought we would continue without him, but we were just like, there's no way we're going to continue changing our singer. Like that never works. Right. So, um, you, it wouldn't have worked. He was the guy for the band. For yeah. Sure. He felt really bad. We were, we were heartbroken. I mean, it had become difficult. I mean, we weren't making any money. I don't know what we would have done label wise at that point. So him leaving, we were just like, all right, let's end on a high note. Played a couple of farewell shows in Boston and that was it. Yeah. Well, folks, you would think that would be the end of the Todd Phillips story, but it was <laughs> <laughs> because in a way you ended up really ended up in the right place at the right time. And why don't you tell us how, juliana hatfield came into your life because okay. some of the biggest things you did were pretty much with juliana correct yeah. yes um <clears throat> i told you about that summer with the moving targets um we played an outdoor show an outdoor target show in portland maine with gang green and murphy's law and uh, it was fourth of july of 1987 <laughs> gang green murphy's law lemonheads targets kill slug were supposed to play but didn't make it uh, <laughs> um anyhow um the blake babies were huge fans slash friends with the lemonheads at that point and so i met juliana and frida at that show and just became friends with them immediately so i'd been friends with juliana for years and the whole time that i was in la volta juliana and i were roommates we lived um, oh really yeah we lived in this apartment on symphony road which was known as the condo pad. And it was like Jules lived there. Evan lived there for a while. Dando, myself, some other people. Um, is that in Boston? Yeah. It's on Symphony Road, right near Symphony Hall. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, so we were down there and Juliana, I'd played on Hey Babe. She made a solo record. Yeah. And I was still in Bullet La Volta, but I had some time off. And so I played all the drums on Hey Babe. So I was okay, kind of so you her weren't drummer. With her, you weren't with her yet, but right. she asked you to play in there. Okay, because yeah. I know that's the first thing you played on. Okay. So she went on tour for Hey Babe when I was on my last uh, La Volta European tour. She was touring the States for Hey Babe with some other drummer. And I was in Europe with La Volta. And we got back, we broke up. And she basically called me from like Los Angeles. And she was like, I'm really sorry. Are, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. She was like, can you go on tour September 2nd? <laughs> like I have this other tour lined up or September 20th. And I was like, sounds good. So basically La Volta, we played our last shows, I think September 17th and 18th of that year. And then two days later, I went out with Hatfield. And you remember That's... the dates. That's pretty good. Well, I just remember I had two two days off. Wow. Yeah. And then I was just 
back but you out. knew all the songs already yeah oh yeah yeah i mean i played all the songs so <clears throat> we did that tour um one of the guys that i was really good friends with dean fisher went to high yeah. school with juliana and he became the third part of that ensemble sorry the julie juliana hatfield Field. three that's right. We were really into Spaceman 3, so we were like, let's, let's name yeah, it I was going to ask you about that, because, you know... It's, well, we it's... were like, do we name a group, uh, you know, Patti Smith group or band? And we were just like, three, three sounds good. Um, you know, Become What You Are uh, with you and Julianne and Dean, that's like, the that's a huge, you know, my sister, supermodel. I mean, what was that all, what was going on in your head during that time? Because uh, who recorded that? Got lit who is um he right. did all the rem Scott records Litt, yeah. yes so i've worked with some great producers you have you yeah. have um we toured for hey babe and jules juliana had become a chair pretty much already written in her head and so we had a um like a, i think a 10-day break from touring for hey babe and we went down to her mother's house in Duxbury, Mass. Yeah, and we yeah. just we just shedded all of the songs that would end up being on "Become What You Are." We just like learned them, we arranged them, we got got them together and totally tight. And then we went back on the road for "Hey Baby," but we played a lot of the "Become What You Are" stuff just to get it, you know, get it solid. And um, we went out with B-52s. Um, for a couple of for like a month and you know, i gotta tell you i interview a lot of people and they don't remember who they toured with what they do you remember oh, I, everything Tom. i have <laughs> one of those i have one of those um you can't say what did you do june 7th 2000 but i do remember pretty much every day of my life it's weird can um, i ask you what your major was at emerson just out of curiosity film 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 yeah. major yeah and actually that's what my life is now yeah. but, um did did so, you yeah. know did you know did you know when you first heard these songs My Sister and Supermodel? Like when you heard My Sister, did you know right away? Like I knew right away oh. because that's when I, I heard I had heard my sister before Dean joined and I took him out for drinks. I was like, you have to join because I heard the song and like <laughs> this is this is totally going so to happen. You knew that was gonna be the song. I knew the second I heard her just play it on her guitar, like with no accompaniment. Yeah. Um, so we were out with B-52 it's funny but the memory thing let's go back to that Juliana does interviews all the time and I usually get like sort of runoff phone calls from whoever was talking to her because they're like she said you would know the answer to this question because <laughs> I have the, the memory that um, <laughs> you know um, so yeah so we were out with B-52 Scott Litt came to see us Automatic for the People had just come out and we loved I mean REM had gotten a little stale for me. I wasn't a huge fan of Out of Time or or Green, those records. Um, yeah. Automatic came out. We thought it was like a real return to form. Like we loved it. Listened to it in the van a lot. Um, so Scott Lick came out and he saw us open for B-52s at Radio City Music Hall. And um, after the show, he was just like, let's do it. <laughs> like awesome. So... Wow. Finished that. We finished that tour, and then we were whisked back out to LA. I stayed in the same apartment complex that I'd stayed at with Lavolta when we made Swamp. Was that the Oak Oakmont? The Oakwood. 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 Right. Yeah. Of course, you stayed at the Oakwood. Yep. Yeah. 
<laughs> I uh, feel like so, I've, I've spent more time in the Oakwood over those two years than I did at my apartment, you know? <laughs> so the way things started blowing up during that period and Julian is on the cover of, you know, NME and all these magazines, you you all were, you know? I mean, yeah. it must have like made you feel a little better about the, the debacle that happened with Bull LaVolta. It must have like eased the pain a little bit. It was a soft landing, definitely. I wouldn't say... I mean, I love her music, but I think at that time period, my heart was still with heavier stuff. Yeah. You know, so it was a definitely a huge shift. Like, I, you know, uh, the LaVolta guys were really good friends with Government Issue and Jawbox and Jay Robbins yeah. came, Jay, Jay Robbins came to a Juliana show at, in DC and he was just like, wow, this is really different for you, huh? And I was just like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's different. But, um, I worked on the U record, uh, Government Issue. Uh, my Jay's, favorite Jay's on that one. Yeah, that record's brilliant. Oh my like, god, that and Crash was a great record too. Yeah, yeah, both of those giant, giant records. Um, yeah. I there's a lot to talk about. That's why I'm trying to keep mm -hmm. it moving. Now, yeah. it's at some point, um, after that, please do not disturb. Mikey Welsh mm -hmm. came in, and you played. So it was with was it the three of you? Yeah, he he and I were just he he and I become pals. Um just drinking buddies like i don't know i don't remember how i met mikey but i did and he had been a lavolta fan and he was you know tooling around and like playing with like left nut <laughs> and jocko bono left nut. that's a portland band right portland i don't band. know he's playing with like these bands you know he sort of played in the heretics a little bit and he was a great great bass player yeah um Rest and in so, peace. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't Jules, mention Bill Whalen before. You know, I should have mentioned that before. Bill's yeah, no longer with us. Yeah. We lost Bill last year, a year and a half ago. Um, it was very difficult. Um, he, he was struggling with mental issues. So, um, yeah, that was tough. But um, Mikey, yeah, Mikey and I were just like thick as thieves. He and I would hang out every single day and so juliana needed a bass player and i was like you got to try out this guy he's great and well um, you introduced juliana to mikey well yeah 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 totally That's pretty cool yeah and we did some touring off that record and then we recorded bed with mikey welsh yeah, yeah. and while we were recording bed um juliana and i were friends with the weezer guys um Ooh. And Rivers was in Boston yeah. going to Harvard at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so he kind of poached Mikey from us wow. and with, with yeah. our blessing, you know. The timing was... makes sense on that for sure. Yeah. I'm looking yeah. at the dates. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He played on the green record. Exactly. And actually, he and I moved out to LA together. Like he moved out he to did. join Weezer. And then I, I followed him like a month later, you know. Yeah. So you guys were really close. Super, super close. Wow. Yeah. I'm learning a lot here, Todd. Good. Um, <laughs> um, other star people. Ugh. I mean, I love Jennifer Finch. You know, I got. I to do know, too. I got to know her when she, you know, when um, L7 and Down by Law used to share a rehearsal space over at Dave Naz's place in Beverly Hills. Oh yeah. And I went over there with Dave Smalley. You probably know Dave Smalley. Of course. And we went in. And he's like, "Oh, this other band's practicing in there, and we could hear him." And I'm like, "Oh." girl singer and we went in and it was l7 it was mm -hmm. before they were like but so you ended up in this band and they ended up on AM and it was right after i left because i worked at AM for seven years but it was the end of AM when you guys got there pretty much right here's was, what happened they were they were assigned with jeff suey over at AM. Yeah, i know um, yeah yeah i worked with jeff 
And basically, Finch, I'd stopped playing with Juliana. We just like kind of run our course, like it had been, you know, years and years. And I told her I was moving to LA with with Mikey. And Finch was a LaVolta fan, and she heard I was coming to town, and she asked me to if I would join her new project. And I've said, yeah, you know, I need a band to play in. Um, came out. It was not my cup of tea exactly but i love jennifer like a sister um i was happy to do it but it, it was definitely not my um not my thing musically but... yeah but <laughs> yeah but the record producer oh roy thomas baker yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean come on man you get to work with roy thomas baker huge producer um greg bissonette actually played a, most of that record before i got there oh he did yeah the oh, session okay. guy yeah. yeah yeah he played with david lee roth exactly yeah um here's the funny thing about the a&m thing and why i decided to give this a shot is the debacle happened right interscope sort of ingested Geffen, AM, it became, and they dropped 90% of all of the rosters. Oh, yeah. And but all Jimmy the people I, that worked there. <laughs> Jimmy Iovine called us, Jimmy Iovine and Tom Wally fucking called us into their, their office. They were like, we're, we're, we're keeping you. We like the record. And I was just like, oh my God, like this actually might happen, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we toured for about six months. We went out with Queens of the Stone Age on their first tour, and that was really you exciting. Did. Yeah, you've been on some great tours, Todd. Oh my yeah. god, you've toured with everybody. Yeah, it's been good. The whole thing's—I mean, I feel unbelievably fortunate, and I don't take any of it for granted. I feel like it's just been incredible. Um, now, I, I know you ended up going doing more records with Juliana, but in between, there was model actress. Oh yeah, <laughs> you didn't remember that. <laughs> I remember Model Actress. That was, that, that was that old, there was a little buzz there for a minute with that I band. Lo- that was just okay. Let me try to explain that. So I, after the other star people, I switched into film. Right, I uh, I became a film editor. I learned the Avid editing machine, which nobody knew at the time when I when I learned it. And um, first job I got was at a, a movie trailer house, you know, an advertising house for films. Didn't even know they did that outside of film studios. I thought they made the trailers at the studio, but no, it's like every other product. Like if a company does the advertising for Coca-Cola, there's a company that does the advertising for avatar, you know? So, um, the guy hired me because he said the drummers made the best trailer editors. It's all cut to music. It's all super syncopated. And so I did that and I got good at it. Um, I started finishing trailers pretty quickly. My first, Big finish was um God, I don't know. Zoolander. Really? Original. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Black that's... Hawk Down. Um, then I started working on huge movies like Troy and Last Samurai and you know, big big it... it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I was doing that and my buddy Juan was in this great band called Brainiac. Okay. Uh, from Ohio. Um he equipped music and he was working in film also. And then my friend Curtis, who was in this great band called Chamberlain. Did you know them? Split Lip? Chamberlain? Kind of rings a bell, but I usually think I know every band, but that one doesn't, I don't remember. They're from Indianapolis. They're kind of part of that, um, like, braid, like, late 90s emo stuff. 
okay. He moved to town. He was working on film. He needed to join it. You know, he was he quit music. The three of us all just started hanging out as friends. And um, Adam Wade, who's the, the original Jawbox drummer and the original yeah. Shutter to Think drummer, um, yeah, or yeah, the second yeah. Shutter to Think drummer, really um, good. He was just like, let's let's rent out our rehearsal space and work on some songs. So I moved to guitar. Adam played drums, and then both Curtis and Juan played bass because that's what they played in their band. So we had two bass players, and we made an EP. And this this cool little label from Chicago put it out, Thick Records. Um, but we never, it was more of a fun project. We were all so submerged in our careers. Yeah. It was really just to, just to have fun. How did Juliana convince you to come back in, uh, uh, what is it? Whatever my love was like the reunite you and Dean and Juliana got back together. How, how did, okay. I'd been working my ass off, um, in marketing. I'd actually become the vice president of the, of a company that I was working for. And it was, just a huge amount of work. I mean, I was working like 70 hour weeks, working on enormous campaigns. And um, I decided to take a sabbatical in 2012. Like I was just burned out. I couldn't work anymore. It had been, been like a 13 year run of a lot, just really intense work. Um, so I decided to take a break and Evan asked me to go out with Lemonheads in 2012. So I went That's out with right. Lemonheads. Um, for a couple of years, I went out with Lemonheads for, for a couple of years there. And then Juliana said she was making a new record if I wanted to play on it. And I said, yes. And while we were organizing that, I said, you know, why don't you just ask Dean <laughs> if he wants to do it? Because that'd be a great story. And so Which Dean came down. Yeah. <laughs> so we uh, we ended up making another another three record. And then... I forgot about the Lemonheads because you didn't really play on any of their records, but you I've, toured with them. I've, Still do, yeah. Like we, um, every few years I'll go out with him. Yeah. Um, I just got this is kind of a sidebar, but did you ever cross paths with Jesse Perez? Because he's been out doing Hollywood stuff for a while. I see him. No, I mean I've bumped into him a few times when he's out here doing work, but we have not hung out. Um, Clay from La Volta, he's in film. He's in film too, and he, uh, he and Jesse are good friends. They hang out a lot. I see Jesse's name on so many things. He's oh, he works just... on great series, like yeah. uh, streaming series. He worked on Girls. Um, yeah. Clay. Orange, Orange is the New Black. Yep. Clay Tarver, um, he was instrumental in Sil Silicon Valley, the Mike Judge series. Clay yeah. wrote and directed a bunch of those, and he's directing um, he's directing a movie for Fox right now, um, Vacation Friends, and he's doing the sequel to that. It's like, yeah. It's incredible how all these Boston guys just that were great musicians and great bands all ended up in the film industry and doing so well, you know. John yeah. Anastas is some marketing executive out and he's a millionaire out in LA. You know, totally he was show, you know. It's, it's, it's the guitarist of um the original Boston's guitarist, and he's some big music. Yeah, he's now. a he's a big wig too. Nate, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. It's it's incredible, man. Um, let's see, where, where are we? So you did, you played on weird too, in 2019. Yep. So you mm -hmm. keep, you and Juliana keep coming, finding each other. She is a friggin' machine, man. <laughs> she, you know, she's put out like 20 something albums in like 20 something years. It's incredible. Yeah, she's especially since like, um, <clears throat> the time we're talking about, like since 2015, she's put out 
every year she either puts out a new batch of her own stuff or one of those cover records that she's she's been doing. ELO's um, next. ELO's yeah, coming in, totally. in the fall. Um, and so we are going to we haven't announced it yet, but I think we're gonna do a um a 30th anniversary tour for Become What You Are. Really? At some point next year. Yeah. So this in the is works. A scoop. In the works. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, you should. I mean, that record is just, you know, hey, listen, to say it's her best record is saying a lot because <laughs> there's so many good ones. There's so I many mean, good ones. Geez, yeah. I mean, the, the thing that blows my mind is if you listen to the, the police record in the, um, what was the other one she did? Olivia Newton-John. Oh my God. These are brilliant albums. I yeah. mean, they're absolutely brilliant. I and love them. I, ELO yeah. is going to be good too. It's going to be know? great. No, she's, she's a machine. I feel like she should be way more famous than she is. Like she's just, I she's think, you know, I think of her as being really famous though. She you is know, really famous. Even yeah. though I used to, when I was living in, in Somerville and I had a girlfriend that lived in uh, Inman, Inman, uh, is it Inman? Yeah. Inman. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'd see her walking around with her dog. Yeah, she and used to live like, right right near there. Yeah, she lived in the, the two houses next to SNS Deli. I had a, mm -hmm. my girl ex girlfriend lived in one of them. You probably know it, Chili Kurtz. I she took my apartment. Chili Kurtz took your apartment. Uh, that top floor apartment was yeah. mine bef right before I came to LA. That was I my apartment. I slept in that apartment a zillion times. <laughs> Al, Al Carrier had that building. Yeah, wow. that was his building. Yeah, I didn't know that. Oh yeah. wow! So you know Chili then? Is she? What's she doing? I mean, this interview isn't about her, but she owns, owns a dog walking business. <laughs> she hasn't awesome. been doing music for a while, but Cage Teat was around for a long time. Her band Cage yep. Teat, blues, blues rock band, you know, and she's Amazing. really good. Yeah. Wow. That apartment with that, that building Where... was falling apart, but I loved it. You know, what's up with it with Alan Carrier? What's his deal these days? <laughs> I, I haven't seen Al, Alibaba. <laughs> Alibaba. Yeah. Seen him in a long time, but you know he's a good guy, man. Oh know? well, Jill Kurtz. Are you ready for this? She did all the photos for yep. Gimme Danger. I knew and that. I, I knew yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Because yeah, I think she was roommates with Kurt, right? Yucky. Were they roommates <sighs> or Kenny? Kenny, maybe. Maybe. I thought she might have been living in the Causeway loft at that time. Yeah, but... she was in a loft. I didn't okay. I don't know who was there, but when she was with Al, they lived down on Causeway. Yep. I wasn't around them, but I heard all <laughs> the stories, man. I've Wait, so let me off. ask you something about your career. Did did you work with um Game Theory by any chance on Enigma? I did. They were on Enigma. Yeah, real uh, nighttime record. I love them. I love that band. Yeah, Scott yeah. Vanderbilt, who was their manager, and I were we started Restless Records together oh. the, un, under the Enigma umbrella. So the and bags, the ba the bags got signed after I had. Left. Okay. I wanted to. <laughs> I had gone to Roadrunner, and I took the neighborhoods, and I wanted the bags too, but I could only get one. So I got okay. the hoods. <laughs> yeah. But I love the bags behind, you know. Oh god, yeah. brilliant, yeah. brilliant yeah. band. Yeah, it's amazing that well when we never really talk to each other, we cross paths a lot, but yeah, I saw totally. you play a lot of shows, you know. I so knew I, in the back of my head that you had something to do with the uh, Gimme Danger uh that time period. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. We didn't do it. We there wasn't a lot we could do because RCA was like you said, in shambles at the time. It was in shambles, and, but I remember coming to your office. 
It was in the Flatiron building, right? You know what? Maybe we did meet in that office now that I think of it. Because I went in there and I took a bunch of, I took a stars. <laughs> you guys had reissued stars. Yeah, maybe we did meet that at that I time. I think we met. I think we met yeah. up there. I'm yeah. sorry I don't remember that because I was definitely there then. Mike Faley was the guy that uh, coordinated the deal with RCA. Bennett Kaufman was, Bennett. you know, Bennett kind of tried to save the sinking ship, but yep, RCA right. never was what it was when David Bowie was on the label in those no. days. You know? It kind of went, in a, you guys got there at the wrong time, man. It was, it was bad timing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I got to ask you something else before I let you go. I mean, do you yeah. listen to a lot of music these days and how do you listen to music? Do you, you listen to vinyl, you stream? I mean, what, what's your deal with, with all that? Cause I, I know you're a music guy. Yeah. Um, I've listened to a lot of vinyl because I recently, a couple of years ago, I picked up an old Marantz 2270 and it made me fall in love with my records again. Wow. So buying a lot of records. Um, I stream a lot. There's not a lot of new stuff that appeals to me. New music. Yeah, it's, it's rough. It's few and far between. Um, I like a lot of the stuff that's coming out of Northern Africa, like Tanarawen, um, that sort of... More eclectic. Yeah, that Saharan rock I think is great. Um, what else have I loved lately? I thought the most recent low record... You know, low from low, uh, yeah, they've been around for a while. They put out a record a few about a year and a half ago that was unlike anything I've ever heard. It like, made some like, top ten lists. I know. Yeah, that it was yeah. really good. Um, and you know, I like Lana Del Rey. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people do. Yeah, I'm sure you. Have you been keeping up with all Juliana's records? Do you listen? Oh, totally. To I listen. To, I listen to everything she does intently because I, 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 you know, I have to end up learning it for live tours anyhow. You know, so but I'm, I'm a huge fan. So yeah, I listen to everything she does. Well, That's cool, man. Sure. Well, what a pleasure it's been talking to you, man. It's you're, been you're, easy. Your, 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 your memory's remarkable, man. It's truly if you remarkable. Ever, if you can't think of something. Give me a call and I'll probably have the answer to it. Well, you know, I'm waiting on Juliana. <laughs> Juliana's publicist told me that she's going to eventually do the show. And hopefully it's going to be before the ELO thing comes out. Excellent. And then, because I got to talk. I, I'm such a huge fan of hers. You know that she's it's funny. You, you're you were in two bands. And if you want to count the Lemonheads, three of probably my top 20 all time bands. Not that's lying, great. You know? That is because great. You played it. That's why I wanted you on the show because i love your plan and you played in some with some great bands thank you so much that's really nice to hear <laughs> and thank you and, and I, right. I wish i was out in la man i'll be there in september you know i'm gonna wait. be i'm gonna be kicking around boston uh i go to martha's vineyard every summer at the end oh, of yeah. july so i will but i'm gonna spend a week in boston um the first week of august so maybe i'll give you a call and we'll uh yeah definitely man get a coffee or something cool man All awesome right. Thanks, Thanks Steve. See you later.
Okay, we're all we're all about the obscurity. I have to say that's one of Juliana Hatfield's more obscure tracks from the ICU five song EP. The song is called Rider with Todd on Todd Phillips on drums. Not considered a Juliana Hatfield three song, even though Dean Fisher also plays on the track. Could have been pre three. I like that. Could have been pre three. In fact, I think it was. Todd Phillips, what an interesting dude and uh, very busy schedule. And I appreciate the way he accommodated us for this interview because he's in the film industry and that can get can get quite busy. And I know he's a busy guy, so I really appreciated him coming on the show. And uh, I really, really, really enjoyed our conversation. I mean, I love all the projects he was involved in. Um, you know, I'm a huge, huge Bullet fan, but I'm also a huge Juliana Hatfield fan. You've heard me rave about Juliana on this show many times, and hopefully one day we will get her on the show. That is a very big goal of mine for this podcast, to talk to Juliana Hatfield, whose body of work is absolutely incredible. So, Please check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Twisted Rico. And also you can subscribe to us on Spotify podcasts. Uh, it's only $4.99 a month and you'll get a bunch of unreleased material that you can hear regularly on the show. It's subscribers only. So I'd love to have you. Once again, patreon.com forward slash Twisted Rico or Spotify podcasters. If you want to reach out to me, if you have any questions about that, or you just have to want to send music like a lot of people do, or just rap or ask me questions or whatever, twistedrico at gmail.com. We're also on all the social media platforms, including threads. Yes, we're on threads. I just signed up. I think I signed up on the second day. So I urge you to check out all those and also our YouTube page where you can watch the Zoom interview that Todd and I just did. It's a fun one. I love it. I loved it. Loved it. I love all of it. Also want to thank Spectacle Eyewear, Joe's Albums, and of course, the heart and soul of the show, Baby Loves Tacos, for their continued support of this podcast. That was number 237, folks. We're going to keep it going. All right. Thank you all for listening. Until the next time we say goodbye, this is Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo. Keep the rock and roll alive. Because yes, yes, I uh, I was giving Keith Bennett's phone to call you and to relay good good greetings and tidings from the both of us. So yes, this is Gilbert, and we're wishing you well on a Saturday. So uh, good goodbye. Yeah.